negative emotions don't lead to high performance. Positive emotions do. Like that's why you want to get yourself into a, a better place, a better state, right? You want to be in a good place. Obviously, gratitude is very helpful on that. But just in general, feeling successful is very, very effective. Like that's why you want to get small wins along the way. You want to confidence, by the way. Confidence is the byproduct of prior successes. And so if you're always downplaying your progress, you're literally undermining the confidence that will boost better performance. And so it's just really good to feel good and to feel successful. And that promotes more success because how you do anything is how you do everything. And so if you're if you're always feeling like a loser, what's going to make you think that eventually you're going to become a winner? Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting down with the great Dr. Benjamin Hardy today, one of the greatest authors in today's world of transformation, personal transformation, things that you can apply to your business, to your life immediately. Buckle up. This is one of the best podcasts we've ever done on this show. And it's because of the fact that we have someone not only is who is here to serve, who is here to add value, but someone who has really poured into himself. And it really shows uh, you are going to learn about the science of personal transformation today. You're also going to learn more about the behind the scenes of this amazing book called Who Not How. Also, this amazing book called The Gap in the Gain and some others that Ben, you know, some other very influential people like Dan Sullivan have put out into the world. And if you've listened to Elevate Podcast for a certain amount of time, you understand that when we ask people about influential books that they've read, many people have referenced the books that Dr. Benjamin Hardy has written. And so today is a game-changing opportunity for you. So I want to encourage you to buckle up and get ready to take notes because today's actionable, it's applicable. It is an opportunity for you to make a total transformation in your personal life, in your business, and in your relationships, and increasing your vision and your ambitions. If you want to go bigger, today's episode is for you. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and entrepreneur. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. We are going to raise the bar so high today. And it's not about, you know, you getting more athletic so that you can jump over that bar. It's about asking more powerful questions. We will get into that in this episode, but it's about changing your perspective. It is about expanding your mind. It is about transforming who you are personally. Man, today's episode is so good. I want to encourage you to pay the fee. The fee is to pay it forward and share this episode with a friend. Share with one person. All you have to do is grab the link in the podcast app or on YouTube and just share that. Just send it forward real quick because this is a game changer. This will be a life-changing opportunity for people who may not be exposed to this type of information or maybe they are, maybe it's a refresher, but maybe it's something that will hit them in the gut to say, you know what? It's time to go bigger. It's time to go deeper. It's time to 
you know, swim with the bigger fish instead of swimming on the surface. I'm excited about this. Pay the fee, pay it forward. Also give us a rating, review, subscribe or follow Elevate Podcasts, wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts is very important to us. And we like to hear from you. We want to know what do you love about Elevate Podcasts? So please give us a rating review if you have not done so already. We encourage you to do that. And by the way, the fee, that's something that we ask for you to do each and every time. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that the only way that we grow is with your introductions. So if you're enjoying this, if you're receiving value, pay it forward and do so and give us a review and Let's go ahead and dive in. I want to introduce you to Dr. Benjamin Hardy, who is an organizational psychologist, author, and the world's leading expert on the application of the future self-science. By the way, we're going to talk about that today. His books have sold hundreds of thousands of copies, and his blogs have been read by hundreds of millions. He and his wife, Lauren, are the parents of six kids. They live in Orlando, Florida. And if you had excuses about your lack of time or, you know, you got so much on your plate, Today's the day for you to leave that in the past and to change everything within your business, within your life, and within your future performance. I want to encourage you to open up your perspective, open up your ambitions, and let's go bigger. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Benjamin Hardy. The great Ben Hardy. Welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you doing? Good. Really happy to be with you. I'm super excited. Huge fan of your work. Very excited about having this conversation with you. As I was mentioning to you, as I was preparing for today's episode, I was getting more and more excited because obviously you've put out great work and and all that you've done really over the past many years. But man, you just bring positive energy with you as well, which is uh, it's a game changer. And I just appreciate that. You know, as we kind of dive into this conversation and familiarize you with Elevate Nation, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your upbringing, your backstory. From what I understand, you know, there were some trials and tribulations kind of going back. So could you talk a little bit about that and kind of where you came from a bit? Yeah, of course. Grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, oldest of three boys. So I'm the oldest of three, you know, grew up just in a pretty normal middle-class family, honestly. Like my mom worked, my dad worked, my dad was an attorney. Mom worked at Nordstrom. She was like a buyer. So she would always like be in London and New York and stuff, just buying, you know, choosing the types of clothing that would come into the Nordstrom. So so she was always kind of gone, actually, my mom. And then she ended up actually opening a health club with her sister, which was always kind of up and down. But I grew up in a pretty normal family for the most part. I, I guess I would say just fast forward through some of the background. My parents ended up going through a really ugly divorce when I was 11 years old. The divorce threw my father for a loop. He was not expecting it. And it ended up leading him down a deep path of depression and drug addiction. And so basically from age 11 to around age 18, my whole junior high and high school years, my mom's really busy working various jobs, trying to keep company rolling, not really doing very well. We have an an insane car accident in the midst of that that almost kills my mom. And she had to close that business. I actually talk about that in the Future Self book, but... And my dad's just going down, 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 like this path of drug addiction and depression. And so, you know, just everything's very chaotic, very, very messed up. Um, My younger brother ended up dropping out of high school. He was very into drugs. He tried to join the Marines, got kicked out. Like for me, everything was so, so much chaos. I was lucky enough to graduate high school, barely graduate high school, had to do a lot of community service and stuff like that to make up absences and did graduate with very low grades and ended up leaving. I ended up deciding to serve a church mission. That was kind of a, a way for me to start over get a fresh start, get out of there, start new. No one knew my background. I just thought that was a good way for me to get out and start over. And it was something I felt good about. So I came home from that experience a few years later 
And during that experience, I had lots of very profound experiences doing service, learning about things like religion. And also I read a lot of books on self-development, psychology, really got into journaling on that experience, let go of a lot of my trauma. And it was kind of on that experience that I decided I wanted to go into psychology. So I got home from that experience in 2010, very beginning of 2010, jumped straight into community college and just was committed to studying psychology and learning more about what the heck people are. And ultimately got a PhD in what's called organizational psychology. It's very much business psychology. Uh, I started my PhD in 2014. And that was really the year that I committed to becoming a professional author. During my mission experience, I, I thought I really wanted to be a writer. I fell in love with journaling. I wrote a lot, you know, stream of consciousnessly and like just learned how to write and just loved learning through writing. Read a lot of such good books that I knew I wanted to be an author. I just didn't know what form that would take. And it was when I first started my PhD that I finally got into the process of learning. So this was late 2014, early 2015. I start you know, really thinking about my future self, thinking about who I wanted to be, getting really committed. I was going to become a professional author during my PhD. So my PhD went from 2014 to 2019. As soon as we got out to Clemson University, where I did my PhD, I started actively trying to understand the professional writing world. I started reaching out to agents, bloggers, anyone and everyone. I was just gathering as much information as possible. And ultimately, that led me to learning that the only way for me to become a professional author was I had to grow a big audience. I had to have a big email list. I had to blog. I just thought I could just write books and just get a a publisher. But I was just like, I found out, no, you've got to actually grow an audience first before you can like write books. And so I started blogging and my blogs were very successful very quickly. I took online courses, really learned. And yeah, my blogs ended up getting read by over a hundred million people. I was able to get a book deal for my first book, which became Willpower Doesn't Work. And basically since then, it's just been writing books, raising a family. I finished my PhD in 2019, finished my sixth major book. And now we live in Florida. We've got six kids. And now it's just kind of, we're in the flow. We're in the flow of deep family work, deep growing as an author. And just, you know, I know I probably skipped a lot of steps and you can go wherever you want, but it's just been a, a, quite a journey. So I always think it's interesting going back to thinking about, well, choosing a career path based on hard experiences, right? And, and going back to that time where you had to really kind of look within and understand sort of that trauma and work through that trauma via journaling and, you know, understand your own psychology to then becoming an expert to providing value to other people via this lens of psychology. But at what point did you become immersed in the psychology of high performance or individual transformation and so forth? What sort of was it through your PhD program that you were like, hey, that's that's the direction I want to go and I'm going to take this rather than just healing trauma or help me understand that? Yeah. Yeah. Because you're describing two very different things. Obviously, like general psychology or just therapeutic psychology is very different from high performance psychology. Certainly, I think initially I was very interested in just general healing, self-development, whether that be through spiritual means or what, whether that be through psychological means. But on my mission, I actually became a high performer. I watched myself transform so much just through reading good books, through learning, through just goal-oriented action towards overcoming fears, towards being courageous. I just watched myself transform so much and essentially become a leader. Uh, I went from like being a loser to a leader, right? I was shocked by that. And I, I experienced rapid, insane growth psychologically and situationally. I, I didn't know it was possible, but I, I knew that there was a lot possible in terms of change, transformation, growth, that people are certainly not stuck as they are. And so when I first got home from my mission, I was I was studying more theoretical psychology. Like in my undergrad, I was studying theoretical psychology. A lot of it was around stuff, more normal views of psychology, like, you know, just the healing of trauma and just kind of how counseling works and stuff like that. But I was also on my own reading tons of books, self-development, 
philosophy. I was reading lots of really, really good books that were like performance-based, mindset-based. So I was kind of studying psychology more generally, like at the foundation, but in my own time, I was reading endless books, self-development, business, and was really zoning in that direction. So when it became time for me to go into my PhD, I had kind of a path. Like actually the first time I applied to PhD programs, I got rejected by 15 different schools. So like my first year, fully rejected. And so I, I had to go back to the drawing board and figure that out. And my first time applying, I actually went for counseling psychology program. So I thought I was more going to go the path of becoming more of a counselor. I probably still would have written self-development books, but it probably wouldn't have been as direct. But while we were like in between the time when I got rejected, me and my wife and some of like, like her sister and her mom, we went on a three-week trip to China. And just serendipitously, I, I met this guy in Shanghai. We met him at church, but he was basically explaining his job to me. He was explaining that he was the leader, like that was his title, over all of the full Asian region of Apple. And, and so I was trying to understand his job, just trying to hear it more. And he basically was explaining that it was his job to train the leadership of all of the leadership in all of Apple in all of Asia. And these are like thousands of leaders. And his job was to train them, upgrade them, and ultimately create the culture and the environment and the success of Apple. And as I was listening to him, I was just so shocked. I was like, this is amazing. I'm like, I want to understand more about what you do. And he's like, he just explained his own path. And he's like, truth be told, I came about this in a really weird way. He's like, I started out as an attorney and took really weird path on this. But he said, my boss has a master's in organizational psychology. And so I had heard of it very briefly. And I was like, hmm. So I started digging into that. Ultimately, it was like, yeah, this is a really cool path. I mean, even if I didn't get a PhD in organizational psychology, I still would be writing similar books. But that just kind of gave me a path. Ultimately, that's kind of like the business of psychology, the leadership, the motivation of psychology, like it's, it's high performance. And so, yeah, I ultimately ended up just going that direction. And from there, just started writing books more direct on self-development, rapid growth, change, high performance, and then ultimately entrepreneurship. So it's kind of been a, a steady process. I would also say just like studying self-development and entrepreneurship led me to wanting to be an entrepreneur. So like all of my research during my PhD was about entrepreneurship, courage, leadership. So I just ultimately got really into entrepreneurship making massive changes and growth. And it's interesting to think about Apple as an example, you know, just that experience that you ran into this guy in Shanghai who was, you know, creating transformation within the organization, one of the world's most successful companies through organizational psychology. So you recognize that as a domino to make massive change, not only in your life, but in a business sense as well. And it seems like that that's the case at least. But the other thing that I'm curious about is it feels like just kind of getting more familiar with your journey. And I do want to get into your books and, you know, handful of the books, because like I said to you prior to, you know, recording the show, one particular book is, is a book that, you know, so many guests will talk about time and time again in terms of the most impactful books that they've read, which is Who Not How. We're going to dive into that. But before we get there, I want to talk about some key relationships because you just mentioned a, a an example of, you know, a serendipitous moment that kind of gave you an aha to say, hey, this is the path that I want to take my learning and my transformation in so that I can create value as an entrepreneur. And, you know, there's a lot of patterns for real estate investors, by the way, in all of this. It's about investing in yourself and transforming to then create more results. If, if that's what you want to do, if you want to create more and better results, it's about first a transformation yourself. But if you could talk a little bit about some key relationships along the way as well, because it feels like from the outside looking in, that's been a huge catalyst for you as well. Obviously, you You've co-authored a handful of books now with Dan Sullivan. From what I understand, you guys have a 10 book agreement over the next, you know, I guess. 
guess you've got seven more years or so uh, in that agreement or, or so. And then also Joe Polish, two individuals that seems to have been very key in terms of just your path and your journey and really kind of living that who not how mentality. But could you talk a little bit about the importance of those relationships in particular and any others that you have encountered early on as you've continued to grow yourself and what that's actually looked like? Yeah, there's been really important relationships along the way. I'll say one of them that's been most crucial, and he's still one of my absolute best friends. So when I came home from China, basically, I was really clear that I needed to advance my writing skills, my researching skills in order to get into a PhD program. And, and so that led me to ultimately finding a new new mentor. So I found a, a young professor. His name is Dr. Nate Lambert. I've probably written about him in almost every one of my books, even just in brief. He and I became accountability partners, and he also was just a, a publishing monster. Um, he's actually, truthfully, he's left academia and now he's very big into real estate himself. So he, he might even be one of your listeners, to be honest with you. So if so, what's up, Nate? But he and I became really good friends and he mentored me very deeply, like teaching me how to write as a professional, teaching me to write, find research, stuff like that, how to pose arguments and stuff like that. And so ultimately over like a three month period of time, I got the most direct mentoring from him than I've ever gotten. And it was because of him that ultimately I was able to easily get into Clemson, which is where I did my PhD. Like the things we did together over a three month period of time are not possible even to a typical PhD student over a five year period of time. Most PhD students, especially who want to be into publishing, get way less done than me and him accomplished in three months together. I mean, he ultimately just, we published like 15 to 20 academic papers for publication, which is very rare. Like most PhD students who want to do that are lucky if they have like three or four done after the five year journey. I walked into my PhD program with like almost 15 or 20 submitted for publication. And so like I could get into almost anywhere because of him. And we've just been great friends along the journey. I mean, that was back in like 2013, 14, that we were working together. And then I ultimately got into my PhD in 2014 because of him. It was all because of him. If you were to look back to say, well, there was a huge distinction, maybe one or two from that mentorship that allowed you to have that, you know, maybe the right phrase is not competitive advantage, but it, you know, somewhere in that kind of realm, what was the, are there any distinctions looking back that's like, that was a game changer from that mentorship? So many. One is, is that he was so good at what he did. Like he was a brand new professor. He was not tenured. He was brand new. He was young and very aspiring. So he was on his own upward journey. And so I just came in, I met him again in a great, simple, easy way. I, I like the quote, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Like once I'm clear and committed, I think, you know, in psychology, they call it selective attention. You get what you're looking for, right? And so I was just having conversations with him. And ultimately he said he was a young professor. He was really into publishing. And I was like, I'm looking for a mentor that I can really get writing experience from. I guess what happened was like, yes, you can get in the right situation, but it's about ultimately taking advantage of that situation. And so I first met him and he just gave me an initial process. Project. He's like, take this old dusty paper that honestly I forgot about and just see what you can do with it. And like, I knew he was cool. If I worked with him, maybe I'd get one or two papers submitted for publication. And that would be like all I needed to get into a PhD program. But like, I took that one opportunity. One of my favorite books, actually, that I still love is called It's Not How Good You Are, It's How Good You Want to Be. Have you ever heard of that book? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's by a guy named Paul Arden. I really recommend the soft cover because there's a lot of cool pictures in it. It's called It's Not How Good You Are. It's how good you want to be. But one of the things he talks about in that book is that it's not the opportunity in front of you. It's the opportunity right now. The opportunity right in your hands is the one that you need to take most advantage of because that's going to set up the future opportunities. Don't worry so much about what's next. Crush what's right in front of you. I really approached that mentorship that way where like he gave me a single paper and it was an opportunity. I could have ha you know done it halfway 
and maybe it would have been all right. But like, I went deep. I remember I, I spent like 40 hours like doing so much and I sent it back to him and he was shocked. Like, and I, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I showed him that I was serious. Like I gave him five, 10 X what he was expecting. And then I just told him like, I'm serious. I really want to get good at writing. At the time, I actually thought I wanted to be a professor. I didn't know that I was just going to go off and be a professional entrepreneur and a professional writer. I knew I wanted to write books, but I thought maybe I'd be a professor and I'll write a lot of books on the side because a lot of professors do that. And so he basically saw me as the perfect protege that he could train up. Like I could do a lot of things for him that would make his life easier. So he just started passing me all of his old papers. He's like, hey, this kid maybe can help me achieve my goals. I guess that kind of connects a lot with Joe Polish's insights about what's in it for them, right? He wrote a book called What's in It for Them. And that's really, I think, a good mindset to take towards any relationship. It's kind of that idea of Zig Ziglar that you can get anything you want in life by helping the right people get what they want. So like this was an opportunity. It was an obvious win-win where it's like if he was very motivated to get tenure, which meant he needed to publish a lot of articles. For me, I was very motivated to get in a PhD program and publish a lot of articles. And so he saw me as an easy way to achieve his goals and someone who was very receptive, true teaching. And so he then, I mean, we would sit and he would look over what I had written and he would point out like very directly, very direct feedback. It's almost like a quarterback coach showing someone their film and being like, here's what you're doing wrong or here's how to think about it differently. And he just taught me very direct things. And and uh, we just developed a really great friendship. I took it very seriously. I think it's important to be around very future-based people, people who, you know, using Dan's language are 10X, not 2X. 10X would be like, these are future-based, really powerful people there. And so he was one of those people. Whereas all my other advisors, honestly, all my other mentors and professors, like they were kind of caught up in their own ways. They weren't really that invested in me. They weren't, they didn't have big goals of their own. And so like, they just gave me the minimum requirement and it led me to not getting in. They were complacent. Oh, very complacent. Didn't really care that much about me. And I was just kind of going through the motions with them and just expected I'd succeed because I was a pretty good student. But yeah, he was powerful, man. So I don't know if there was any clear distinctions in there, but. No, that makes sense. I mean, it, it's important to, when those mentors appear, you know, be ready for them or at least recognize that this is a key opportunity. I mean, I was actually having dinner last night with uh, one of our vendors and we were talking about mentors that we had, you know, in our own career and, and things that we still do to this day that we think about their insight and input on that can be very profound. And those are dominoes and they lead to other opportunities. And it seems like, this was one that then led to the relationship with Joe Polish, which led to the relationship with Dan Sullivan. I mean, is that fair to say, or am I assuming the correct set of circumstances there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll share with you a very small sequence of events and how I've approached those events, which I think leads to expansive opportunities and collaborations and unique situations. So my Aunt Jane joined Joe Polish's group in 2013 or 14. Um, she's an entrepreneur. She runs a health business. I'd never heard of Dan Sullivan, never heard of Joe Polish. Certainly, I was aware of people in their circles. I was very interested in like Tim Ferriss and very interested in, in people like Seth Godin, et cetera. Like a lot of those people not necessarily were in Genius Network, but had been around that world. And so my aunt joins that and she tells me about it and she tells me about Dan Sullivan and she ultimately starts sending me little books of Dan's and I'd never heard of him. And I start reading these little books. And this is right when I'm fresh into my PhD program, starting to blog. And his thinking really influences me. And my Aunt Jane just says, this is a really profound group. And so I just kind of made it my own goal to get into Genius Network. Like it could have been another mastermind. There's a lot of different ones, but I just kind of made it my own goal. And so when I got my first book deal, so I started blogging in mid 2015. And my goal was just to get into that program, that community, the Joe Polish community, before I finished my PhD. Didn't know how, it's a $25,000 investment. And I was making $12,000 a year as a graduate research assistant, right? But I started blogging 
And ultimately my blogs blew up. I was able to get a six figure book deal for what became willpower doesn't work. And I immediately took that money. This was in early 2017 and joined the group. So, you know, speaking of investing in yourself and putting yourself in the right environments, right communities. And, you know, the first meeting I went to, and I wasn't expecting to be writing books with Dan Sullivan, even though I, I knew I would meet him in that community, but I loved Dan's work and I love a lot of people's work. I'm, I'm not singular in that. I, I learned from all sources, but one thing that really stuck out to me, just being in a group like that, where you're investing tens of thousands of dollars to be in a community of education and community, I was surprised. And I was maybe too young and too naive, and I was still so future-based, and I still am, that I wasn't scarcity in my thinking. But I remember a lot of the people talking in the first meeting I ever went to, and they were talking about how to recoup the 25K investment. Like, what do we do to get that money back? I, I just thought that was such a, an awkward backwards conversation. I was like, it's not really about that. I was like, I think if you approach this the right way, you could get 10X or more out of it. And so why don't you just be here and learn and be adaptive? Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately I did develop a, a great relationship with Joe and I, I've contributed a lot, actually, who not how. They're, they're very open that that book's led to more people to Genius Network than any other, any other source, uh, just because I wrote a full chapter on Joe in that book, but also Strategic Coach. I mean, Who Not How is the number one book for driving people into Strategic Coach. Like literally hundreds and hundreds of people join that program every year because of the books I've written. And so I came into it wanting to be growth oriented. I wanted to learn. I wanted to expand, but I also wanted to give. You know, Joe talks a lot about being a giver, not a taker, right? That's, there's a lot of research on that, by the way, um, by Adam Grant, who's an organizational psychologist. But I, I just think if you come into it with the right mindset, it's not so much about you. It's about how much you can transform and how much you can give. Back to the Zig Ziglar quote, honestly. It's crazy how many interesting things can happen where it's really about the relationship. You're in a relationship with people. You're not transactional where you're just using people to get yourself ahead. Like you develop real meaningful transformational relationships that last for a long time. You're not just here to get a quick win so you can then go to the next person where there's no true relationship. You know, Naval Ravikant talks a lot about how compound interest is where all the success comes from. And those are from relationships, learning, like you really want to go for compound effects. And that requires a long-term attitude. And that's exactly the energy that you brought to this conversation, kind of going back to the beginning is, you know, you came into this with being a giver and not a taker. I mean, you're leading by example. You're not just saying that. I mean, you live that. And so, you know, I just wanted to highlight that. But then thinking about all of these experiences and, and now the path that you've taken, you know, forward, obviously there's been tremendous insights through, you know, the simplicity of how you communicate and and, you know, obviously, I know that many of the ideas in Who Not How originally spawned perhaps from from Dan Sullivan. And you obviously added to that in so many different ways. But I want to start with Who Not How. I want to dive into the gap in the gain and some other newer works and some works that you have on the horizon. So let's just kind of dive in here, man, because ultimately Who Not How is completely game changer in terms of the way that people think about how they accomplish and achieve their goals. You know, instead of saying, how can I do this? It's the question is, who can do this for me? And, you know, that can seem very, very simple to many people. And it is very simple, but the results are profound. So, I mean, how can investors or entrepreneurs master this simple question? I mean, you know, ultimately this is what we're talking about is building incredible businesses and freedom, right? As a result. So how can they master that question? I know you wrote a lot about it, but if we were to talk about that just briefly today, what would you say about that? It's such a, an important concept. And I think that it takes people too long to realize how long they're operating as an individual. I think in public education, we're trained to kind of be competitors. We compete with each other. You don't think collaboratively. You also just don't think as a leader. And so just as an example, like especially as a new entrepreneur or someone who's doing a lot of things, if you're doing 50 different tasks, certainly you can't be doing any of them extremely well, right? Like using the 80-20 principle, right? 80-20 principle is that 80% of your results comes from 20% of what you do. And so 
if you want to spend more and more of your time in that 20%, that's going to generate 10x results, right? Like you've got to let go of that 80%. And that 80%, a lot of it can just be fully let go of, but a lot of it still needs to get done. Logistical tasks, scheduling, paperwork. There's a million different things, right? Editing your video, editing this, like whatever there is, there's a thousand different things you can do. And the question becomes, what are the few things that you can do, which make the biggest impact if you do? And if you were able to let go of a lot of the rest and give that to a who, then you could go deeper in flow. A lot of my deep concern about this idea, like two forms of psychology, one is willpower, which is willpower depletes if you make more and more decisions, you know, and there's a concept called decision fatigue. And so if, if you're making a thousand decisions a day, those decisions aren't very good, I can promise you. But also flow, where it's like, if you're switching from task to task to task to task, you're going from creative tasks to administrative tasks, to meetings, to this, to this, then you're, you're not in much flow. You can't be very good at what you do. And then just using the 80-20 principle, if you're not deep in the 20%, then you're definitely not going to next. And so one of the just big insight about all of this is just if you really want to grow and scale and be good at what you do and be transformational at what you do. I mean, if you study anyone who is very, very good at what they do, they have to build their life simply around the few things which matter most. And they have to focus on getting 10 times better in terms of quality before they get 10x the quantity of growth. And so a first obvious step is removing that 80% and getting who's to handle that and getting more and more who's to handle increasingly high quality things in your life. So like as an example, I think a first basic who for everyone, whether you're in real estate or not, is an assistant, right? Just get an assistant to take over all of the logistical organizational things so that you can spend more time, you know, listing properties or meeting with people who you can do investments with. Like that's your goal. That's your 20% that's generating the results. And so get someone who can handle the rest. They are better at it than you. They can be more consistent at it than you. Their time, you can pay them an amount not worth a tenth as much as when you're doing those 20% activities. And so just the faster you do it, it becomes a point of no return. And so the faster you do it, you realize the value in it. But I'll also say one last thought, and then you go wherever you want with who, not how. But there's two things really here. One is, is that most people, they view who's as a cost, where it's like, well, I can't afford a who. What you realize is that you are looking at it as a cost, not an investment. You can't afford not to. The sooner you get them to take over that 80% and you're in the 20%, your time already just went up in value by five to 10X because you're now doing the few things with more flow, with less decision fatigue that are, are the things generating all your results anyways. So by just getting them and freeing your mind and being in flow and doing higher value activities, you're already gonna be making way more money. So that's one is you wanna view them as an investment in yourself and in your future self and in what's possible. But the second one is, is that the better you get at this, the more specific who's you get. Just as one example, in the book that I just recently wrote, my own standards for my work got higher and higher and higher such that I reached a cap. I reached the cap on, let's just call it, I wrote to the level of all my previous books. But I was like, this is not where this book belongs. This book needs to get a lot better. But everyone around me was satisfied. Everyone was like, no, this is my publisher. Even like Dan and Babs as an example, like everyone was like, no, this book is good enough. And I was like, no way. Like, I already know that this book has to be a lot better, but I had no who's around me who could get me there. I knew I could not get there by myself. I'm like, I don't have the capability to get there. So one of the obviously key points of who not how is recognizing you can't do it yourself, but also there are people who are fundamentally better at things than you and you'd be better off trusting other people. It led me to finding one of the best editors who does business books with name brand people you would know. And by working with her, she was able to immediately highlight how I could get the book from what she perceived. I thought the book was like a nine like level nine out of 10. From her perspective, it was a five, you know, cause she had a better vantage point. She's like, we can help you get it from a five to a nine. And the book changed in like three weeks. And so you just get more and more sophisticated at finding better who's and just taking on who's in all aspects of life. You become a leader. You know, what happens is you go from limited thinking to unlimited. 
And that's really what happens. I mean, you start to ask this question, you ask more powerful questions, you get more powerful answers and more powerful creativity. When you ask your mind something like, who instead of how your whole world opens up. One of the things that blew my mind was when I'm reading this book, you know, halfway through, I'm like, wait a minute, Ben wrote this book. Dan did not write this book. It's like leader by example of like, hey, the whole book is called Who Not How. And everybody buys the book and they think Dan Sullivan's the author. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it was a partnership and you were ultimately the author. I mean, that to me blew my mind. That was like, oh, my goodness. This is like you're walking the walk and talking the talk. Yeah, that was like meta meta. Like we, we did that on purpose. Yeah, I mean, that was a really fun application was just showing that the primary author of this book is not even the person writing it. And he would never tell the person writing it how to write the book because he doesn't have the capability or the skills to do that. He just creates vision, which is what, what you do as a leader. You create vision and then you let the who's run with it, which there's so much research that shows that people want autonomy. They want freedom. They want to be able to do things their own way. It was definitely a fun book to write. And I agree. It, it creates limitless thinking. I, I wonder from your perspective, what, what's one of the recent who's that's been most powerful for you, man? Oh, I love that. Well, you know, so like you, I grew up middle class and, and you know, the, the whole concept is if it is to be, it's up to me. You know, it's like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and like, you know, if you want to go get something, you got to do it. And it's interesting because throughout learning this, you know, it's you got to unlearn a lot of those things that are just deeply entrenched into your psyche about, hey, you know, you got to do this, that and the other and you've got to do it all. And unlearning that has been huge. I mean, in terms of who has been super impactful for us, I mean, we, we recently hired a new executive assistant for our team who's taken on a lot of the stuff that we've been, you know, burdened with over the past, you know, a couple of years and, you know, really taking those things to a whole new level, to your point, doing things much better than we did, you know, my partner and I. So that's one example. We have outsourced accounting now who's supporting our, our finance team and just getting clear on income and expenses, helping us project into the future in terms of, you know, where do we see things going and, you know, really just taking us out of the weeds so that we can make strategic decisions so that we can build strategic partnerships, you know, and the things that are going to be more impactful for the company, things that we bring unique gifts to so that we have clear thinking. And the other thing too, is like, I feel like it forces you to get more creative and more resourceful because when you ask that question initially, it's like, well, I don't know who, uh, I don't know who could do this better. But when you do find that and you keep asking yourself, you, you ultimately do find that person, by the way, we've had to kiss frogs along the way, the way that I will describe kissing frogs. It's like, Oh, you are not the prince or princess that we thought you were. So move along. But that was a, a test. And, and also kind of, I, I see it as almost a, you know what I trust in this process and I've seen it work for so many other people and it's working for us, but it doesn't always work perfectly, but you have to commit to that concept. And I think investing in that, you know, it allows you to start to think creatively and more resourcefully to say, well, what are the higher level sort of processes that I should be engaging in on a, on a more sort of ongoing basis. But I don't know if that all makes sense. I feel like I'm kind of going around in circles here. No, I, I love, I love so much of what you're saying. I think every person listening to this if you can't look back over the last 90 days and see at least one good new who, you're playing way too small. So like, I love what you said. I, I was just even thinking about myself while you were talking. So like I brought like my main administrative assistant. Well, there's a, a really cool concept that, you know, that we go into in the new book, 10X. That's the idea. And I've already kind of talked about it of clarifying your 20 and letting go of your 80, right? And so like, this is even true of employees, right? Like are of other people. So like my assistant, because we're growing so much, like we took some time to clarify what are the, what is your 20%? Like what are the few things that you do really well and what's your 80%? And so she was able to create a new role for someone who's a lot more organizational, a lot higher follow through to take her 80%. And so we create a new role. Now there's two of them and there's one with much better strengths on the things that still need to get done. 
Whereas my core assistant can now be in her 20%. So this is when your team starts to expand and like every person's more in their superpower. That's a who that's been huge for me. But also in terms of kissing frogs, it's really like any skill. Like if you've never really done a whole lot of hiring people or getting who's, you're not gonna be very good at it in the beginning, but over time you get better and better at having clear filters about, and first off, like I'm not even usually the person who finds my who's, like I, my assistant is often the one who finds the who's, but even still, you have to specify what success looks like, what you're ultimately going for. Like as an example, so the more specific the result you're trying to get, the more specific type of who you're gonna need. So like as an example, me back with my book, I was very specific that I wanted this book to be at a very high level. And because I was so specific with the goal, it made it a lot easier to find a who because it wasn't just any editor that was going to get me there. I need a very specific type of editor who was at that level. So the more specific you get, the easier it is to find the right who's. And so a lot of it is your own ability to clarify with precision exactly what needs to be done and then finding the right person who can confidently do that and also who matches kind of your energy, your culture, your values or whatnot. But like a lot of it is... This is kind of a gain and gap mindset, but taking every experience, learning from it and using that to be better and more specific in the future. And so I just think it's a skill that you get better and better at over time. And and we all will make mistakes. We'll all get the wrong who's over time. Ultimately, you just get better and better at finding the right ones or letting your team find the right ones. It really comes down to you being specific about what you want and then clarifying that so that you can bring in the right person who can do it. Which is where the impact filter comes into play and really kind of utilizing something that's already been created. One of the things that I'm a huge fan of, and I know many of our listeners are a huge fan of, is simply modeling success. I think at the end of the day, that's why people like listening to podcasts and reading books like the books that you write is because it's like, you know, let's cut corners here. Let's let's accelerate our success. Let's use what works. And when you define success clearly and you know, tactfully and you understand, well, what the outcome is, you know, let's be outcome focused in terms of utilizing a who or bringing a who into our world that we're adding value to, by the way, we're not, you know, extracting, you know, just their effort, their energy and resources. We're adding to them as well. We may be their who we may be able to tap into their you know, outcomes as well. But that was a great distinction thinking about those outcomes and defining success. I mean, ultimately it comes down to freeing up your time, increasing your vision. I love this, increasing your vision and ambitions. Because a lot of times if you think, well, how am I going to do something? Well, I'm gonna set my goals lower because I don't have time or energy or effort or expertise to go where I wanna go. So let me just down regulate. When you start to ask this question, you can increase your vision. Your ambitions can go up by 10X at least or more. You can expand your wealth, your relationships, your love, your joy. I mean, this is a phenomenal mindset. I mean, one that I'm just like, wow. But it it comes down, it feels like, at least for me in many regards, it has been retraining my brain to ask this question. Do you have any tips on, you know, retraining your brain to unleash the ability to ask a powerful question such as who can do this for me instead of how can I do this? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just catching yourself as an example, if you're doing anything that like, you know, getting caught in that 80% as an example, if you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing, or just that are tedious, that are frustrating, as an example, we talk about if you're procrastinating, right? If you're, if you're holding things off, chances are a who should be put in place and that you can find a who and invest. And so I think a lot of it's just self-awareness. A lot of it's just catching yourself. You know, if you're spending more of your time on things you absolutely love, that are higher and higher value, then you're in the right spot. You're in that 20% that really matters. But also I don't look at who's just as people I can hire. Like I look at who's as people I can collaborate with, people I can team with. And so like, yes, if I'm no longer doing 50 things, but now instead I can do two really well, 
because I've hired a who to like edit my videos or whatever, or like edit my books or even like spend 20 minutes in my house cleaning the house, right? What's possible expands dramatically because now you can focus, right? But also in terms of collaboration, it's like if I was partnered with that person and I could contribute my gifts and skills to that, what could my future be? A lot of that things become were impossible on your own become very possible with the right who's. And so it's, it's a very respectful way of living. I, I just think that in general, you just change your orientation. Every time that you think you have to do something alone or that there's a lot of work, I think you just, you have 50 things on your to-do list that day. Step back and say, no, like first off, which ones of these are, are in that 20% which matter? And which of these can be passed to a who as fast as possible? And you just train yourself to do less. And as you do less, you will actually achieve and earn more because now you're you're getting more people around you. You're giving them responsibility and things that they love. And also you're willing to even go to who's. It's interesting, like even addiction. I go into this a little bit in who, not how, but like addiction is often something that people try to solve on their own. Literally, they try to go it alone, clench their fists, try to do it through willpower, hide their addictions from their most loved ones and trying to do something like that. Eventually you got to cave in and let go. And you got to say, I need help, right? Like, and so then you seek support, you seek help. And I just think the faster you stop trying to do it on your own, you get needed support, you get help, the faster you'll get results. And ultimately, this is a result-oriented approach to life. It's an approach about getting results and getting better and better results faster and easier. And so if you want results, whether it's overcoming an addiction, whether it's 10xing your business, whether it's having more free time, whether it's writing that book, you know, it's like if you want to write a book, uh, but you haven't done it for four years, you need a who. It's just, what is the result you want? And are you truly committed to the result? And if you are, stop making it all on you because it's not getting you there. Get someone to help you. I need help. I need support. And then get better and better who's along the way. It's just, if you become committed to results, you start to just be open to getting help. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out CF Capital. CF Capital is the premier boutique real estate investment firm in the Midwest and Southeast region of the United States. We are a national real estate investment firm with a purpose. We provide property investment and asset management solutions to help passive investors maximize returns on high value multifamily communities. But our investments go far beyond acquisitions. We invest in people. We are in the business of elevating communities and raising the bar for everyone within our ecosystem. CF Capital is a real estate investment firm focused on the acquisition and operation of multifamily assets. We confidently deliver tax advantage, stable cash flow, and capital appreciation with a margin of safety. By investing alongside our team, investors can preserve and grow their wealth without having to deal with tenants, termites, or toilets. Investors come and stay for the outsized returns we create in our deals while appreciating the ancillary opportunity to make a bigger impact that only CF Capital can provide. If you're an investor and want to invest with us, here's how. Learn more about CF Capital at cfcapllc.com or by simply clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. We will see you on the inside of this powerful community. So let's elevate communities together. Man, at the end of the day, it comes down to this thought process. Tony Robbins, I think, said this years ago, and obviously he said so many profound things, but it's never a matter of resources, but it's always a matter of resourcefulness. You know, because a lot of the pushback on who, not how is, well, you know, I'm not there in my business right now. I can't hire all these people, da, 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 da. But what you're saying is, well, we don't have to just think about it in one context. It doesn't have to just be, hey, you know, build your payroll till it's, you know, $2 million overhead. It's, well, you know, maybe we can partner with some people or maybe there's some contingencies. Maybe there's some structures of the agreements, you know, for people who have a sort of unique ability in an area that you do not that can take 
20% off your plate or maybe even 80% off your plate to create more results. And, and by the way, I love that thought as well. At the end of the day, it's not about activity. It's about outcomes. And there's a huge distinction there because a lot of people think, well, if I'm busy, that's good. Well, busy is just indiscriminate action. I think Tim Ferriss actually said that busy is lazy thinking and indiscriminate action. It's like, whoa, that'll hit you in the gut. I mean, that'll change the way you think about your activity. It's like, well, what are we focusing on? The other thing I wanted to talk to you about, I have so many things, by the way, I want to talk to you about because I'm having so much fun with this, but I want to talk to you about the gap in the gain because high achievers and a lot of the people listening here, you know, they, they are future focused. A lot of the things that we've talked about, I mean, they're future focused about not only their future self, but you know, the goals that they have for their business and you know, their real estate portfolio, the lifestyle that they're designing. And so a lot of times we, and I say this, we, it's like therapy session here. We live in the gap, you know, between where we are and where we want to be. So talk to me about why the unsuccessful or what you found. And, you know, I know Dan has been teaching this for so many years, but obviously you, you wrote the book with him. Why you have found that the unsuccessful focus on the gap and the successful focus on the gain. Talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, it's a great invitation to define success. Because people who externally look like they're really far can feel like the biggest losers. And they may actually be majoring in minor things, right? I don't think you can be successful if you're not doing what you ultimately want. And if you don't feel successful, then you're not successful. And so many high achievers, I would never consider success. And they are their worst enemies. They think that everything they're doing is, they think that they're failures and they're playing the wrong games. And so the gap in the gain is a, is a beautiful way of truly becoming successful. It's a different look at success. This approach is really about playing your own game rather than playing other people's games. Rather than comparing, competing, trying to beat other people, really the gain is about gaining from your own experiences, valuing your own experiences, transforming your own experiences into gains, even trauma into gains, right? You can turn any experience into more and more gains if you utilize your experiences and you define them for yourself. But it's also about only comparing and competing with your former self. Being in the game means you're measuring yourself against just your former self. So as an example with me, I'm not competing with you and your success has nothing to do with me. I can celebrate your success, but like your success doesn't create any complexes for me and, and stuff like that. Like I don't need to worry about anyone else. The only person I need to worry about is where am I versus where was I before my former self, my past self, and what have I learned? How have I gotten better? What experiences have I had? And what can I pull from those experiences? And what can I take from those experiences to clarify what I want more accurately in the future? Even the bad experiences, like what can I take from those experiences so that I can avoid those things in the future so that things will be better in my future? So it's really a more intrinsic approach to life where you become intrinsically operating. You intrinsically reflect on and learn from your own experiences. You're intrinsic about measuring yourself. You're only really comparing and competing really with your past self and just learning from and advancing from your former self. And then you reach a place of intrinsic motivation where increasingly more you just define what you want and it has nothing to do with anyone else. You become truly, I think in the book, we use the word self-determining, but it's just like you determine what matters and you're no longer using external things as benchmarks for what you go for. You're truly just going for what you want and you're always successful because you're always moving forward beyond your past self. The problem with kind of a gap orientation towards life, which is I think what we're trained with in society, social media trains us. The gap is when you're always measuring what is with what could have been or what should be or what could be. 
And as people, we all do have exciting futures. We all have big plans, big visions, and, and those are very important. It's very important to have a vision for where you want to go. But no matter how many steps you take forward, your vision is going to keep growing and what's possible is going to keep changing. And if you're always comparing yourself with that, you're never going to feel like you're making any progress at all. And we live in a culture where success is always something that's delayed for the future. Happiness is always after I achieve this. And so most people, for them, happiness and success is something they're always pursuing. Even in America, like the pursuit of happiness, like life, life liberty, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that's really what happiness is for people. And that's what success is, is it's always something they're in the pursuit of, but never the realization of. So they're always pursuing something and never actually having it. And that type of life really is unhealthy, certainly to always be wanting to be somewhere, but never actually being there. This gain approach is really cool because what it does is it allows you to be fully happy and successful now, yet continuously expanding that in the future as much as you choose to and as much as you want to. You can have both. And I think that that's something that most people don't realize. They think that only after they hit certain goals can they be happy. But the problem with that is that even after they hit those, they change the benchmark again and again and again. So they're never happy. They're never present. They're never successful and they never will be. And so their past is unsuccessful and their future will always be unsuccessful no matter what they achieve. And you start with, you know, obviously living a life of fulfillment and being more fulfilled on your journey as you continue to grow. I mean, that's obviously a huge benefit, but talk about the, you know, feeling successful notion and talk about the positive psychology of that and how that can improve performance and outcomes as well. So there's like enormous research on this at this case, like negative emotions don't lead to high performance. Positive emotions do. Like that's why you want to get yourself into a, a better place, a better state, right? You want to be in a good place. Obviously, gratitude is very helpful on that. But just in general, feeling successful is very, very effective. Like that's why you want to get small wins along the way. You want to confidence, by the way, confidence is the byproduct of prior successes. And so if you're always downplaying your progress, you're literally undermining the confidence that will boost better performance. And so it's just really good to feel good and to feel successful. And that promotes more success because how you do anything is how you do everything. And so if you're, if you're always feeling like a loser, what's going to make you think that eventually you're going to become a winner, right? But if clearly you're a winner in the past, that's probably going to promote winning in the future. And so there's this idea that the only reason some people are successful is because they're never satisfied with what they have. That may drive a lot of external accomplishment, but it drives forth zero, I guess you could call it emotional and spiritual development. Like I was recently reading Matthew Perry's book. Matthew Perry was the person who wrote the memoir about his experience in Friends. Like he was cast of Friends. Shout out to Chandler, man. That was Chandler. Chandler. Yeah, Chandler. Have you, you a fan? I remember Friends, of course. I remember watching the last episode. I was like, oh man, this is the end of an era. Yeah. I loved his memoir that came out maybe two or three months ago. I actually referenced it in the, in the new book, 10X. But he talked a lot about seeking success, seeking fame. And he just felt like if he could finally fill that gap, then he would finally be able to love himself. And he talks about in the book, which ultimately led him to lots of unhealthy addictions. And obviously, if you're really trying to prove yourself or trying to reach some level to fill some gap, one of the things that I just love that he said, I'm actually going to quote it directly. Chandler. Okay. Yeah. This is the quote from his book. The book is called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. So he says, I was pretty sure fame would change everything and I yearned for it more than any other person on the face of the planet. I needed it. It was the only thing that would fix me. I was certain, but the magic never lasts. Whatever holes you're filling seem to keep opening back up. It's like whack-a-mole. He said, maybe it was because I was always trying to fill a spiritual hole with a material thing. 
And I think that that's kind of the essence of all of this is, is there's nothing wrong with achievement. In fact, from my standpoint, when you when you reach a place of healthy relationship with yourself, you're you're freed from a lot of the unhealthy needing or trying to prove yourself or it sheds a lot of things. I think this is really what it is, is a lot of people think that they need certain things. They need that success. They need that fancy car. They need that private jet, whatever it is. And then once they have that, then they can finally be fulfilled. And if you're trying to fill any quote unquote needs, then you've devalued your current self. You don't think you're enough without that thing because you need it, quote unquote. What I like about what I learned from Dan, and I've learned this from other sources as well, is that there really aren't any like needs or shoulds. It's really about wants. It's like, what do you actually want intrinsically? And if you want it, you can have it, but you don't need it. And if you think you need it, then obviously you have an unhealthy relationship with your current self. Yeah. So that Chandler example, I just thought he's just a a great example of someone who was constantly in the gap and could never appreciate that he was literally on the most famous show of all time. And by continuously thinking he needed more and more and more, it's just an unhealthy vacuum for, for addiction, which ultimately he finally realized he didn't need anything else. He already was enough. Yeah. It's like pouring, you know, expectations into a black hole that are never going to fulfill you. And, you know, when you always have this it's almost like this projection of the future, you know, that's out there. And when I accomplish X, then I will experience Y. I mean, that is a, that's a formula for suffering, but you know, living in the gain is really about measuring backwards and recognizing how far you've actually come. But then also living in that future focused self, you know, one of the things you guys talk about is about, you know, not only measuring backwards and experiencing the gratitude for that growth, but then there's an importance in setting measurable goals. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, One of the really cool parts about quote unquote being in the game is that it allows you to more fully like contextualize your past. Like, let me give an example. Most people, because they're just so moving forward, which we all do, they actually forget 99% of what just happened. So it's like, what did you eat yesterday? Like you you just don't even know, right? And so one of the things about being in the game is, is it actually helps you be a lot more explicit and measurable about what actually occurred. So as an example, I could say like, and I do this regularly, like every day I look back and say, what are the main things that happened today, right? And I write those down. Like, what are the main things that happened this week? The main forms of progress, learning, the main experiences, the little things that I could easily forget, right? This is really good for memory, but it's also really good about making your past more explicit and measurable. Like I could look back on just January. You and I are filming this on January 20th and I can like write down what are all the things that have specifically happened that have been great, that I've made progress towards my future self, made progress towards my goals, but also what are the things that didn't go great that I could learn from, right? And so like your past becomes more concrete, more specific, more measurable. And then you can ultimately use that to create more specific, more measurable, more concrete future self, more concrete, specific goals. And so I don't don't think there's really too much crazy stuff to be said about the idea of specific goals are important. I mean, I think that's pretty stated. You know, I think we having clear, specific goals allows you to have a clear and specific path forward. Your The quality of your path forward is based on the specificity of where you're going. It's very much like an airplane. If there, if an airplane didn't know where it was going to land, it was just going north, south, east, west or something, be really hard for the plane to navigate, right? So the specificity of your goals shapes the quality of your process, the quality of the who's you bring along. So yeah, I, I just think that being in the game allows you to set clear, more intrinsically motivated, more specific goals based on what you want, based on your standards, not based on other people's standards. And then along the way, you can get better and better at um, setting better goals, learning from your goals, adapting when the goals no longer make sense. Exactly. And living in the game also, it's like you either win or you learn. And so even if you don't get to your specific goal, you can look back and say, well, here's what I learned. And there's just a just a powerful transformation and everything changes. It's a two millimeter shift that changes your emotions, which then leads 
to high performance. That was a huge clue in this conversation. Ben, I want to be super respectful of your time. I know I've, I've already grabbed a ton of your time, but I do want to touch on just a couple of new projects before we go to the rapid fire section of the podcast. Uh, newer projects. I mean, obviously you released Be Your Future Self Now about a year ago, and I have to admit, I haven't read it yet, but I'm excited to just you know hear your thoughts on this. I mean, I love the subtitle, The Science of Intentional Transformation. So what is, tell us, I mean, what's the difference in being and becoming? What is the difference? That's a really deep question. I'll point even to a different book on the subject, which is called Already Free. This is a book I read like two months ago from a, a therapist, and he explains the difference between Eastern Buddhism and Western psychotherapy. Western psychotherapy, and in general, Western the Western world is all about becoming, right? Whereas the Eastern is all about being. And, and those two can often feel in conflict. I, in a lot of ways... And I hadn't read that book while I was writing Future Self. I wrote Future Self like a year and a half ago. But that book is really about being your future self now, being the person you want to be. Um, one of my favorite quotes actually comes from James Allen. James Allen wrote a classic book back in the day called As a Man Thinketh. And that book's just all about how as people, we don't attract in life what we want. We attract who we are. And so Be Your Future Self Now is a deep dive into all of the latest research on the topic of future self. This is predominantly becoming one of the biggest subjects in all of psychology. I actually wrote an article in a recent Psychology Today magazine. It was the September, October edition. You know, if you go to grocery stores, you'll see Psychology Today magazines. And that magazine was all about future self and about personality change over time. One of the articles was written by me in that book. That topic is becoming everywhere. And anyone who's listening to this, you're going to see the subject, if you haven't already, you're going to see the subject of future self increasingly in coaching programs, therapy programs, etc. Because psychologists are learning more and more and more that there's a lot of research on this, that the quality of connection you have with your own future self is going to shape the quality of your behavior in the present. Very similar to what Viktor Frankl talked about a long time ago in Man's Search for Meaning, that when the why is strong enough, you can bear anyhow, or just really Without a clear future self, your present self is screwed. Without hope in the future, meaning in the purpose in the future, you can't really do much. And so the quality of who you are in the present is largely based on the connection and commitment you have towards your own future self. I don't know how deep you want me to go into that book. I will just say that like that is a seminal subject in psychology. It's, it's going to become, you're going to see it more and more. And what I try to do in that book, the book is laid out in three parts. Part one is seven threats to your future self. So I just lay out the threats to your future self, like things you may be doing right now that are maybe thoughtlessly setting up your future self for disaster, right? I, I just lay out the seven core threats to your future self. And then I write out seven truths about your future self. One of the most interesting truths is that your future self is fundamentally different than you expect, radically different than you expect. Just like who you are now is probably way different than your past self five, 10 years ago could have anticipated. Then I go into the seven steps to be your future self now. So that's just a, just a simple, practical, deep dive into the research and strategic guide for being a lot more thoughtful about your future self. And then ultimately going from becoming to being, being that person now. If you start being your future self now, then you can start doing what your future self would do and generating the results that you want in your future. You can start generating those results right now. Before we leave this topic, I have to ask you, and this is something that I understand you go into depth in the book. And so I'll, I'll give myself the action step to go read the book. And I'll also, <laughs> I'll ask the, the audience to do the same. And by the way, we'll put links in the show notes is where the listeners can find all of Ben's books. One of the things that I understand is a profound takeaway is that the question, who is your future self, you've indicated is a question that leads Needs basically the answer to all of our life's questions. I mean, that that's quite a profound statement. I mean, give me a sort of a peek into why that's the case. Well, it's really interesting. 
like anyone who's listening to this podcast is listening to this because they think it's relevant to their future self. The reason you're having this conversation with me is because you think it's relevant to your future self, even if that's just to the growing of your own podcast or to providing value to your guests. And so everything we do is based on our view of our future self. The challenge for a lot of people is, is that their future self is either very small for various reasons or very urgent for other reasons. And so a lot of times your future self is only like a few weeks ahead of you. Like everything you're doing is just to pay the bills or get to get the kids to school, et cetera. Like most people's future self may be like five feet in front of them. And, and so they're not living towards a much bigger future self. And so whatever you're doing right now is actually a clear reflection of who you see as your future self. Uh, one of the stories that I talk about in that book, it's actually the introductory story, is of Jimmy Donaldson, who is Mr. Beast, right? Mr. Beast is a very famous figure. But one thing that a lot of people don't know about Mr. Beast is that back in 2015, when he was a 17-year-old kid, he filmed four videos of himself talking to his future self at different time frames. This was in October of 2015. And he, he filmed these four videos and he was talking to his future self at different time frames. He was talking to his future self six months into the future. And he just filmed four short little videos of himself shakily holding a camera. And you can look these videos up because they're on his, on his YouTube channel. Really sketchy old videos. And this was back when he had no skills, no team, but he had a future self. He was exposing his future self to his audience. He was not hiding it. He was being public about his future self and he was connecting, just being really honest about his future self. A lot of people are not honest about who they want their future self to be. They're ashamed of it. They're embarrassed to admit what they truly want. But these videos were really interesting because what he did is he filmed them and then rather than publishing them all to his channel, he published them, but he set them to go live at their time. So like for the video where he was talking to his future self six months in the future, he published that video to come out exactly six months into the future from that date. For the one year one, it came out one year later. So for the five year one, he published it that night, but it got set to be published five years into the future. And I was writing the book. I was writing Be Your Future Self Now, and I, I'm a fan of Mr. Beast. And that video popped up on, on his channel and it was called, and anyone, anyone can look this up, it's called Hi Me in Five Years. And I was like, hi me in five years. I'm like, that sounds so interesting. And it looked really different. It was like a sketchy video. And again, anyone can go look at this, but it was a video of him five years earlier. And this was the first time I had seen this, him back in 2015, because again, this was in 2020, him talking to his future self in 2020, five years into the future and saying who he wanted his future self to be. What's really funny about it is, is that he wanted his future self to have a million YouTube subscribers. But when the video went live, and he had actually forgotten about it because he was so busy, you know, actually being his future self and making videos and transforming that when the video went live, he was shocked because he had forgotten about it. And at the time it went live, he actually had 44 million YouTube subscribers, even though like his former self was hoping he would have 1 million. And like, it just shows that we radically under predict how much our future self could be and, and stuff like that. And so it's just uh, the main point of all of this is that everything you're doing right now is based on the future that you're most committed to. What an amazing concept. And man, I just love your work so much. And that's why I, it's like, it was a challenge to kind of get prepared for this conversation because there's so much I want to talk to you about. I need like 20 more hours of your time, but it's all interrelated and it's all very exciting. And ultimately the undercurrent is about transformation and anything is possible for your future. And there's so many different levers that we can pull to get there. I can't wait for part two of this conversation where we talk about 10X being easier than 2X because now we're going to put steroids on top of who, not how, everything else that we've talked about today. Man, I love it. I mean, let's, let's hang out 
out more, Ben. But before I let you go, I want to transition into the rapid fire section of the podcast. We call it the rare air questionnaire. A lot of this stuff that you've talked about, it shouldn't be uncommon, but unfortunately it is. But, you know, that's kind of where we're playing. We're playing at the highest level. So I want to ask you a few questions before I let you go. Number one, obviously being a prolific author yourself, I imagine you're a big reader. So if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? I'll just go with the past few months, just because uh, it, it's really tough to say. I'll just say the books I'm studying very deeply right now. So I'm deeply studying Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb. Read it many times, but I'm very deep into studying that book particularly. I've gone back to Think and Grow Rich just for fun. That book is good. Like, it's a great book. Everyone can have their opinion on it, but it is what it is. It's a great book. So I've been deeply studying Think and Grow Rich again. So I, I, those two combined are really interesting, very different one more like spiritual and pseudo, whereas one is like very deeply philosophical, practical and rational and intense. The I like the radical difference in those two. Uh, another book that was very helpful for me, which actually informed the gap and the gain is a book called Peaks and Valleys. Peaks and Valleys was written by the same guy who wrote Who Moved My Cheese. It's a little parable style book. Peaks and Valleys is a gorgeous little book. Trying to think what other books really hit home for me. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time at this moment because I'm just so deep into what I'm thinking about right now. But yeah, let's just say those those are another book that I really loved. And this one definitely, I think is probably heavily suited and probably a lot of your audience already knows about it is Go For No. Go For No in the real estate space is, I think it's a really big book, but that is a really cool book about just failing at the level of your future self, like going for, you know, raising your bar, getting rejected. If you're getting only yeses in your life, that means you're not asking for enough. <laughs> and so you really want to start getting lots of no's, right? And then learning how to turn those no's into yeses. And that's really what that book's all about. And that was a really cool one. If we were to circle back and you were talking about studying deeply, anti-fragile and thinking you grow rich, what does that actually look like when you study a book versus just read it? Well, as an example, I think I've read, I have a, a, a list of how many books I've read this year. I've really only read three books, but I've read each of them three or four times. Just so, so like I'll listen to one, take notes, digest some of the ideas, think about it, talk about it. And, and so I'm very much into depth over breadth. I'm into quality over quantity increasingly. Uh, that's something I think I, I developed while writing 10X is easier than 2X is just very much into depth, depth of learning, depth of focus quality of focus, really understanding things rather than just having a shallow perspective. That also fits with flow, by the way, that the more you bounce from one thing to another, you're kind of at the surface. That actually brings up a book that I really love that I've recently read, which is called Catching the Big Fish. And that book is all about consciousness and creativity. And it talks about how if you're always at the surface, then you can only not only catch small fish, you're only aware of small fish because that's where your level of awareness and consciousness is. Whereas if you go really, really deep, then you can start to see really big fish in terms of ideas, transformations, opportunities, which you can never see at the surface, but you can't go deep if you're living a shallow life, bouncing from thing to thing, having a thousand things on your plate, not giving yourself the space and time to genuinely think. If you're comfortable with the surface level education on a book, for example, you, you read a book, there's a lot of research that shows that if you read or listen to a book, you're only going to remember five or 10% of it. And so if you're comfortable with that level of understanding of the material and of that level of application in the material, then you know, you're living a very 
surface level life. And for me, I'm very interested in depth of transformation, depth of application, depth of understanding, depth of relationship. And so that's kind of how it looks. It's just, I'm just studying a few things. I'm thinking very deeply about them. I'm connecting them to what I already know. Sometimes I'm using them to rethink what I thought I knew. And just a lot of journaling, a lot of reflection, a lot of time of thinking, having good conversations with people like you, where I'm still testing out the ideas, seeing what I truly understand about it. And if I want to rethink some of my prior assumptions. It's a joy to have a conversation with someone like yourself who really goes into depth in the level of thinking because it just comes to life. And you have many different angles of thought on many different subjects, but you've gone deep into them. And so that's a great takeaway. It is not just about, it's actually not about quantity. It is about quality. So I love that. I, that was a that was a takeaway depth over breadth. Aside from what we've talked about today, which we really haven't really talked about much of sort of your day to day approach. But what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? I think uh, there's just a, a few things that I, I strive to do. One is obviously connecting with God. God's a big part of my life that elevates my life. I try to invite God into everything I do, whether that's my journaling, whether that's my writing, whether that's these conversations, that just continuously elevates me. Thinking, giving myself plenty of time to think, reflect, review, reviewing your past, being really honest about your past sometimes. All progress starts by telling the truth, being a lot more honest with myself, a lot more honest with other people. And so just plenty of time for thinking. I think if you're too, too busy doing, right, then you're not being, right? And so plenty of time for just being, being present, being aware, thinking, reflecting, getting insights. And certainly, I love the quote, your input shapes your outlook. And so back to quality over quantity, removing 80% of the inputs that are coming into your brain, whether from social media or just low quality because whatever, again, goes in, shapes your view of the world, shapes your goals, shapes your identity. And so consuming less, but better, right? Higher quality, less quantity. And then certainly my family. My family constantly elevates me. Like you, you and I were talking right before the show about us both having twins. It's just like my life, my kids encourage me to be better and better every single day. And they give my life a lot of meaning. They keep me grounded. They keep me not caught in the thick of thin things. Like I don't need to try to play these games and try to be better than anyone else or anything. Like my life is really simple at the end of the day. Like I have my family, got my passions. I've got the things that I enjoy. I have a pretty simple life, but I do love being elevated. And so those are some of the things that elevate me. And it's amazing too. I mean, being a father of six, I mean, a lot of people will say, oh, I just don't have time for thinking and reflecting or all these things that you just talked about that elevate your life. And, you know, those are excuses. And those are excuses perhaps from maybe not a big enough vision of your future self. You're not willing to get resourceful to find the who's to, you know, get you to where you want to go. And I, I think that you're living as an example. And that to me, you know, obviously you've you've done a handful of TED Talks and one of the TED Talks you, you've talked about the load, increasing your load, leading to traction. I highly recommend the listeners go check out that TED Talk. But, you know, that really resonates with me because, you know, when you have more demands, you have to step up to the plate. You have to get better. You have to get more resourceful. And so, man, you just lead by example. This is so much fun. As you can tell, I'm just, I'm, I'm geeking out right here. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Ben? Thank you, by the way. Thank you for this amazing conversation. Gosh, the biggest way I elevate others around me, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I, I do my best. I, I try to encourage, try to provide quality, you know, try to teach truth, I guess you could say. I try to do well at what I do, give empathy and compassion to other people just because I don't truly know what they're going through. I, I can't judge other people based on my own experience or my own metrics because I'm, I can only, you know, I can't fully understand what you're going through, right? And so I try to try to understand. I try to, to share 
to learn. And so I don't, I don't know. It's a really hard question. I mean, just sitting here with you for the past hour and 15 minutes, I mean, I could probably go on and on about how you elevate others around you. I mean, you've certainly elevated us today. I mean, this has been absolute game changer of a conversation. I highly recommend the listeners go back and re-listen to this episode because there are so many distinctions that if you truly apply these, we're talking about total transformation. We're not talking about incremental shifts. We are talking about total transformation, not only of yourself, which is really fulfilling. I mean, if you want to live a fulfilling life, it's about continued growth and development, but also your outcomes and the life that you're living, the people around you. You've totally elevated us today, Ben. Are there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you like to share with Elevate Nation today? Yes. Uh, it's really about the last thing you were mentioning about me with six kids and like, you know, we all have excuses that we don't have time, stuff like that. This kind of connects back with who, not how as well, which is that, you know, people think that they need to get to a certain level first before they can then make that higher when they don't realize that usually people wait way, way, way too long be out of fear of loss or to actually truly be who they want to be, be their future self now, make some moves, right? And I really, I'm certainly still very limited, right? Like I I still procrastinate or hold off on taking various risks or making decisions that I really want to make. I, I still hold myself back enormously. But I think one thing that has helped me is prioritizing the things that really, really mattered to me and being willing to put those before other things there's actually a great book on the subject called Anti-Time Management by Richie Norton. And it's all about building your work in a lot of ways around your life, whereas most people build their, their life around their work. And eventually you can be doing your life's work, right? That's, I think, what that would be like your calling, your mission, your purpose. And I think that that's a, a beautiful way to live. But I guess what I want to say is, is like you can you can start building in your future self right now. And, and I think if you, if you don't, you'll never become your future self. And so for me along the way, like when I first got home from that church mission, like I was very committed to having a certain job. I actually wanted to go and be a, a trainer of missionaries. I was comfortable not having a job if I didn't get that job. I was comfortable taking on some student loans and just doing more school if I didn't get the job I wanted. And eventually I did get that job. But And then when I really wanted to become a professional author, I was a full-time PhD student with three foster kids. We actually had the three kids as foster kids for three years before we adopted them. And I was a full-time PhD student. But my number one goal at the time, honestly, was to become a professional author, which required me to waking up at 5 a.m. and writing blog posts for two years and really learning. And, and, and I was putting my future self first. And in a lot of ways, I was putting my current self second. I was not a great PhD student. Like I was procrastinating assignments and stuff because I was really wanting to become a professional author. And so I, I just think no matter what your current life looks like, it's going to be busy. It's going to be very busy. There's going to be a lot of demands. There's always urgent battles to be fought. But if you don't build and structure and schedule your life around your dreams, around your goals, around your future self, around what you truly want to be doing, and eventually that just becomes your norm. If you're not making the space and the time for that, then you're just on a hamster wheel. And so you really have to own your time. And even if you're just owning little bits of it at a time, the more and more you own your time, the more you eventually own your time. And so you just, at some point you have to start putting, you know, that's the most common phrase, put the important before the urgent, but like actually do it schedule in the important, schedule in time with your kids, like schedule in. I mean, that's one of the big things that I learned writing the book Future Self was my schedule needs to reflect my future self. So I started moving all meetings, like rather than having meetings scattered throughout the week, nope, they're all only on Fridays, Monday through Thursday, writing the book because that was my future self, right? So does your schedule reflect your future self or does it reflect your current self? So you just have to eventually just own it. And my life, I have six kids, but I have all the time I need for exactly what I what I want. 
And, and, you know, one thing at the end of the, you know, the calendar year, you're always like, man, I can't believe another year has passed. And it's like, man, they just, they just fly by to a certain degree, like fence posts. But looking back, it's like, well, if you've prioritized the things that are important to you or that matter to you based on that vision that you have for your future self, you know, you can look back with gratitude and say, you know what, even though time feels like it's passing faster, you know, I can look back and be grateful for the commitments and the sacrifices that I made for this bigger future. Ben, this has been so fun. Uh, I just really, really appreciate you. I really honor you. I want to acknowledge you uh, for continuing to push your own limits and continuing to share that with other people, not only digging through, you know, the science and the psychology of high performance and transformation, not only leading as an example uh, in your own life and doing so with an amazing family, but man, I just want to acknowledge you because you're showing us that, you know, anything is possible anything is possible. And you're living that uh, on a daily basis. So man, I can't wait for part two of this conversation. Where can the listeners come and find you? I mean, they, they go to benjaminhardy.com. Where else? Uh, and I just want to say, like, I appreciate all the all the love and affirmation. And it's awesome. I'm a very average person filled with massive weaknesses constantly that I'm battling every day. And so there are a few things that I do quite well that I've invested a lot in. And there's a lot of things that I'm I'm still extremely working on. And uh, we have our own troubles, you know, like it can be interesting, you know, listening to these types of interviews and hearing someone's highlight reels and thinking that I mean, certainly I've, I have a great life. I'm totally in the game. I'm grateful. My life is amazing and it continues to get better, certainly, especially compared to my past self who was living in various experiences. But we have our own crazy things that we're taking on every single day. And so I, I just wanted to like remind the listener, certainly you can continue to create your future self, create amazing dreams. And I'm a big believer in that. But I'm still a normal person and you're going to be a normal person when you become your best future self. In terms of where you can find me, benjaminhardy.com is my website. So benjaminhardy.com. I also have futureself.com and you can just go to those, get additional resources. I have a YouTube channel where uh, I, I regularly post new videos uh, and certainly check out the books. I think he's going to post those in the show notes, but I've written, I think six or seven traditionally published books now. Check out Future Self, Gap and Gain, Who Not How. The new book coming out is going to be called 10X is Easier Than 2X. So yeah, just check out some of the books, YouTube videos, and uh, the websites. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes as where the listeners can find all of those amazing things. You can also pre-order 10X is better is easier than 2X today. So make sure you do that. We'll put a link in the show notes as to where you can do that. Ben, until next time, my friend, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast, man. Really, really appreciate it. Elevate Nation. I mean, come on, what else can be said from that conversation with Ben Hardy? First of all, he's the real deal. He's exactly who he is on camera, uh, behind the scenes. And I just value that. I honor that. And there is tremendous wisdom in today's conversation. I'm just going to briefly say, look, re-listen to this episode. I'm going to re-listen to it probably five or 10 times. It is about transformation, complete transformation, just not little tweaks or not little, you know, yeah, I look like I've made a little bit of progress here. It's about looking back and saying, oh my goodness, I cannot believe what has occurred in my life, in my business, in my real estate portfolio, my cash flow, in my freedom, in my relationships, in all aspects of our lives. If you want to look back and be grateful and live in the gain of tremendous transformation, I highly encourage you to re-listen to this episode. Identify your top one, two, or three distinctions and have a conversation with someone else or maybe even have a group conversation about some of your takeaways and the ways that you can implement these learnings. This stuff is unbelievably 
impactful. So I hope that you have found as much value as I did from this conversation, because frankly, if I had this conversation and didn't record it and share it with anyone, this would have been a game changer, not only for me, you know, just for me, but I'm so happy and thankful to be sharing this with you, Elevate Nation. And so ultimately, the most important part of this entire process is to take massive action. Information is not power. Information is potential power. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it comes down to taking massive action on what you learned. So I want to encourage you to make a commitment to do so. Put it on the calendar. Make a list. What's the number one, two, or three things? By the way, if it's just one, that's totally fine. Just go and apply what you learned today. Elevate Nation, I just want to thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.